0: All right, are you ready for God's Word this morning? Ready for God's Word? Get whatever copy of God's Word you have, whether it's a Bible, whether it's a device that you click. Uh, if you don't have a copy of God's Word this morning, don't worry about it. We have two giant Bibles on either side of this platform, and all the verses that we're going to talk about are going to be on those. So, But turn with me to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. And today I am starting a new message series, a new series of messages that I called Beast Beast Mode beast mode. Now, if you're familiar with this term, we actually, I think the term actually comes from uh, an NFL running back, Marshawn Lynch. I don't know if you're a fan or not, doesn't matter. Um, but Marshawn Lynch was drafted, played for the Bills for a few years, then went to Seattle, won a Super Bowl with Seattle over the Denver Broncos. But but he was known as the beast and he would just run over defenders. And so we got this that he would go into beast mode, beast mode. And beast mode, um, if you just want a simple definition, if you're like, what are we talking about in church? It just means Performing difficult tasks with extreme or intense power, and and so if you want the whole series, now I'll tell you the next two messages in 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 this series are are the best. But if you just want to fall asleep and then be able to pretend like you knew what I was talking about, that that I was praying and I was asking God, you know, just listening, God, what's next and what direction? And I felt like God said that 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 He wants us, and and this was really the word, like Marty, I want you to to lean. Are, are to depend more on my power than your strength. I want you to depend more because this is the temptation that we have. And, and I want you to depend more on my power. I want you to look for my power. I want you to lean into my power. I want you to depend because as as people who believe in a God, in, in the God of the universe, we're not supposed to live from our own self, from our own strength. But we are supposed to like Samson and like David and like Elijah and like Peter and the Apostle Paul. We are supposed to depend on the power of God as we go through our life. We're supposed to live, if you will, in beast mode. His strength in our difficult circumstances. Are you with me? And so for that, that's, that's where I want to start today. So Genesis chapter 7. I'm sorry, chapter 2, verse 7. It says this. Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And I'm going to jump to verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded man saying, you shall eat of every tree of the garden. As much as you want, you can have. But the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you should not eat of it. Because if you eat of it, then you will die. If you eat of it, then you will die. Um, I called this message the source of strength. The source of strength. Let me, let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for your word, for your grace. Um, and God, we have not gathered today out of religious ritual or pretense. Um, but God, we have gathered today because you really are the source of our strength. You, you, you are the God who has created us and formed us. And God, we, we are not here because it's Sunday and we are not here because it's church. We are here because you have the words of life. And your words, God, change us and transform us and empower us. Um, and God, we have gathered not to hear the words of a speaker, but to hear the words of your spirit. And so, God, we just ask that you would speak clearly to our hearts, God, and let our lives never be the same because of your truth. In Jesus name. And everybody said, amen. amen. I also want to welcome all those watching online today and our house campus down in College Station. We welcome you. Absolutely. Can we welcome them? It was just welcome. Thank you. Thank you for being with us today. Um, a source of strength. Three things. If you want to write these three things down. Um, if you are like an anointed child of God who has faith, you're probably going to write these down. Um, if you're like the greatest people in the world, you're probably going to write these. No, I'm just kidding. Um, three things you want to write down. Here, here's the first thing um, is that you have some strength, but God has all power. You have some strength but God has all power. I I think we need to acknowledge the fact that, that we do have strength like in and of ourselves. There are some things that we can do. In fact, there are some things that we can do without God. Now, the truth is our strength comes from our creator, but it has been given to us that we have some strength. There are some things that we can do. And, 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 and we can live that way if we want and we can work out of our strength. And that strength is actually a blessing. Like it, maybe if you, and if you come to work here, we, we, we go through a lot of different assessments and we look for, uh, strengths and we look for weaknesses. In fact, I'll give you the, the test here. It, when I sit in the interview, it's usually at the end, usually by that time the person's hired, by the time I'm actually in the room interviewing them, because I'm kind of the last one. But I will always tell, you, tell me your three greatest weaknesses. Because if you can't tell me what you're weak in, I don't want you working for me. But at the same time, I'll turn around then and say, and maybe you're saying, well, why? Because you're not in reality if you don't know what you're not good. You're not aware of yourself. Like I can say, I can tell you my top 10 weaknesses. Are you with me? And so if someone's like, I have no weaknesses, okay, I'm sorry. You, yeah, you, mm-mm, no. And so anyways, but then I'll turn around and say, tell me your strengths. But I also, just like I want that person to be able to articulate for me their weaknesses, I want them to be able to articulate their strengths. Because if they can't tell you their strengths and they don't know what they're good at, then then again, they're not aware at the capacities that they have. But what I found is we all, have, we all have strengths. We also have spiritual gifts, which come from the Holy Spirit. So we have some strength. But what I want you to do for just a moment is is wrap your, wrap your mind around the power of God. How big God is. How big must God be? Genesis 1.1, 1, 1, everybody can quote it, but it says, in the beginning, God. Like, God doesn't take time to explain himself to you, to justify himself to you, to validate himself to you, right? He doesn't take time to promote himself. He doesn't do a commercial like, hi, I'm God, I'm the greatest God. When the greatest God in all the universe decides, it did not start, just in the beginning, God. Like everything started from him and with him, that he was actually before the beginning. So before the beginning, there was God. I know there are a lot of atheists and agnostics, and and they believe that believers like, like us created God as a figment of our imagination to be a crutch for us. But I'm telling you, the way this whole thing started was not with us, but with God. And can I tell you that if you are the beginning of your story, you are already in trouble? Your story doesn't start with you and it doesn't start with mom and dad. Your story starts with God. You're in his story. God's not in your story. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And, and, and so all power, all power comes from God. Look at this verse, 1 Chronicles 29:12 says, both riches and honor. Now time out. Let me help you some. Like here, if you're poor, or if you're rich, whatever you have came from God. Riches and honor, look, you see that come from you. Riches and honor. It's, people sometimes so much struggle to get financially because you think your money's your money. It didn't come from you. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Whatever you have came from God. When we give, we're not giving God our money. We're returning to Him out of what He has already blessed us with. Riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. How much does he rule over? In your hand, look at this, in your hand are power and might. And in your hand is to make great and to give strength to all. God is all power. All power comes from God. He is all powerful. In fact, there's some theological terms. um, Omniscient means God is all-knowing right? Omnipresent means that God is present everywhere. I like to say it this way, that God is so big, everything happens in his presence. This way I like to say it, omnipresent, because I like to make God bigger and smaller. It's just smaller. Um, I don't like to make the God who follows me around. I like God so big that everything I do just happens to be in his presence. But then there's this third one, um, omnipotence, the, the, the omnipotence of God, which is that God is all-powerful, that 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 he there is none like him none beside because all power think about that he is all power all power comes from him he is all power like you want a definition of power it's not marshawn lynch god's been in beast mode for all eternity because when, when we start when he starts his story it's in the beginning god that means that before the beginning god still was and before the beginning, God had the power to make everything that we now know, and he made it out of nothing. Now, I think it's amazing when I see created people and they can take 88 keys and they can write a song and they can take some paint and they can paint a beautiful picture or they can invent something, create something. They can take wood and make cool stuff. I, I think that's amazing. But God took nothing and made everything. He is all power. Um, Herbert Spencer was a non-Christian scientist. Um, he had several achievements that were held as worthy of, of, of notoriety or, or even prizes. Um, he lived from 1820 to 1905. But he was the one, probably his greatest achievement was he determined that if you wanted to understand anything that existed or could be known, or if you wanted to understand, think about it this way, if you want to understand the formation of anything, So how anything comes into being, if you want to understand how anything is formed, how it comes into being so that you can know it and interact with it. If you want to understand that, he said, you need to understand five things. You need to understand time, force, action, space and matter. Time, force, space, time, force, action, space, and matter. And as a non-Christian scientist, this was held as such an amazing achievement to understand these five categories and that it takes to to understand anything or how anything is formed. You need to understand. Are you ready? What was it? Time, force, action, space, and matter. Now, how does your Bible start? In the beginning, time. God, force, created, action, the heavens, space, and the earth, matter. Matter. He's like, if you want to understand the formation, and so here's what we're saying. God is so big. He was before anything we know, yet we all and everything we know came out of him, that he is the source and he is the power that has created everything. This is why I love, um, I love Exodus 3. Because in Exodus 3, there's this, this guy, Moses, Burning Bush Moses, Let My People Go Moses, Charlton Heston Moses, whichever version that you're the most familiar with, right? Here's the staff, staff snake, Moses, that guy. Moses doesn't know God at all, right? He, he, he is raised in the house of Pharaoh. Um, then he, he runs from Egypt uh, after he kills an Egyptian um, taskmaster, essentially. Um, and he's scared he's going to be found out. And he goes on the run. He's a man on the run. And, and then he, he's, he's tending sheep, you know, and, and then all of a sudden he encounters this burning bush that's not being consumed. The burning bush, Moses, that guy. And, and God tells him, you know, I want you to go and I want you to leave my people out of Egypt. And they're having this conversation. And Moses asked a good question. Because remember, he's not familiar with God. He didn't have Sunday school. He didn't have the little felt board that told about his story with the bush that's on fire. But it's not really burning. How many remember felt boards? Anybody? Yeah. If you, if you didn't live with a felt board and Moses keeps falling off because the air conditioner kicked on. And Moses, oh my God, he died. Put Moses back up there. And so if, you didn't live if you didn't grow up in church like that. I'm just kidding. <laughs> it was actually pretty funny. But anyways... Um, but Moses, that's a good question because, you know, this guy's like, you have to go to, to, to the most powerful ruler in the world and tell him to let all of his slaves go. So the question becomes, well, well, what'd you say your name was? Again, like, who, who are you again? Because when I say, hey, this bush told me, <laughs> he's going to think I was tripping on some bad stuff. Hey, so I ran into a bush that told me you need to let all the slaves go. <laughs> Not gonna and, and God gives him a title. It's a description, and then he equates that title to his name. If you read the text, I'm not going to read the text, but he says, I am sent you. I am who I am. I am sent you, and then he says, and then he changes it the third time to Yahweh, indicating that Yahweh is the name that infers the title, I am who I am. Now, what's the significance of I am who I am? Because we've got to think about who Moses has got to go talk to. He's talking to Israel. Israel hasn't known the Lord. They, have, they haven't known the Lord except through some stories. They haven't had an encounter with God. And he's got to tell Pharaoh. Pharaoh believes himself to be a god. In fact, um, history tells us that that this would have been um, Amos, one would be the Pharaoh. And, and his name... Um, actually comes from this phrase, law is born, law is born. And so that actually means that law there is lunar deity. So in other words, this Pharaoh believes he is the moon God, essentially, that, that that's what he was named. Mo- moon God is born, law is born. That's, that's what his name means. And so Moses has got to go back to Pharaoh, who, who, Israel believes to be the most powerful person. If not, even if they don't believe he's a God, he's, the, he's as powerful as one as far as they're concerned. And he believes himself to be a God. And Moses has got to tell him that someone else says he needs to do something else. And so God tells Moses, you tell them and tell him, I am who I am. Remember his name meant law is born. Here's what God was saying. I am. I wasn't born. I wasn't created. I wasn't thought up. I wasn't wasn't made alive and you can't kill me. I was God before you thought you were God and I'll be God when they bury you in your tomb. In other words, he's telling you need to let him know there is a God greater than him that is demanding the release and I'm just wondering if you're facing something today that looks a little intimidating and looks a little bit big than you then you need to know i am who i am is still your god he was before you faced it he will be at, this is great preaching for you not to act more excited i am he's saying i am self-existent self-sustaining and self-sufficient in other words i wasn't created and born and i can't be killed i'm self-existent I'm self-sustaining. I don't need meat and potatoes to survive. I don't need air. I survive in and oven and through myself. I have been and forever will be. I'm eternal. Right? And self, um, self-sustaining is I sustain myself. Self-sufficient. I don't need anyone else. Do you see what he's saying? He's talking to a God that eats meals and takes naps and was born. And he's saying, I, I don't need any of those things. I'm bigger than you, and I'm just telling you, God is still the God of I am. What you need, where you're at, he is still bigger than what you face. He was before, and he will be after. We have some strength, but our God has all power. Here's the second thing. God accomplishes his plan by giving you power to achieve your purpose. God accomplishes, you, you gotta think about this. There's a principle from Genesis. And, and it's still, still in effect today. God accomplishes his plan. See, God's not stingy with power. He gives power. He just needs you to know where the source is. God actually gives us power. In fact, that's how God achieves his purpose and his plan is to give us power to f- fulfill our purpose and our destiny. Um, Genesis 128 says this. Look at this. And God blessed them. Time out. I, I love the order of scripture. And sometimes we miss this. But before God asked Adam to do anything or told Adam to do anything, he blessed him. I just say that because some people think God's wanting something from me. The only thing God comes to you to do is bless you. When he came to Abraham, he said, I want to bless you and make you a great nation. Now I want you to leave the land of Ur and go to this land of promise. But God always starts not with taking, with giving. With giving. And so if you have a concept that God wants something from you and he's trying to take, no, 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 no. You need to understand God's trying to give something to you. He starts with a blessing. And so God blessed them and he said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it and take dominion. So so here's here's what God does. Now for for whether you want to say 6,000 years or six days, the Bible talks about the six days of creation. And so for six days, God has been creating, right? And on the sixth day, he creates man. And then God rests, right? And then he takes his man that that he had created and he said, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue and take dominion. Now this marks a transformation transition in the way the earth was governed. And let me explain. Up until this point, all the power of God that we saw in the earth was initiated solely by God. In other words, he said, let there be light. And there was light. Let there be land. And let there be the space between the land and the heavens. And, And let there be water. And let there be, you know, Plants and all that kind of stuff, right? So God is initiating and he is creating by his power. And then he creates man and he puts his breath in them. And then he says, okay, now, Adam, now I want you, basically, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue, to take over dominion, to reign over. So to take over and to reign over. To take over and to reign over. To to The word actually means to have kingdom. So subdue it and have kingdom over it. It marks a transition. Let me give you two other terms that might make sense. From a sole proprietorship to a partnership. In a sole proprietorship, you have one person acting. But in a partnership, you have two people. We'll say equal partners, just for simplicity. In a a partnership, you have two. Or you could have more, but we'll say two. And they're now acting together. One acting independently, two acting together. So for six days, God acted independently and initiated all types of development and change and the release of his power on the earth. But once he makes man, he says, now I want you. I want you to subdue and take dominion. Now it's a partnership. Let me show it to you in scripture because right after that's Genesis 2, 19, it says, then out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens. Question, who made the animals? God, good, you and are so, I'm so proud. And it says, and he brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever this man called every living creature, that was his name. So God would take dirt. (laughs) I I think like making balloon animals. (laughs) Are you see that? (laughs) And then, and then he'd bring it to Adam and Adam'd be like, Cheetah. Right, and God go to a Giraffe. Right, like this is what's going on. Like, duck-billed platypus. And I think I was like, well, that was creative, but okay. But, but this is what's going on. So who made the animals? But who named them? It's now a partnership. This is a principle. It's now a partnership on the earth where God's power now has to have partnership with man. And from this point on, from this point on in Scripture, you can't find one place where there was a release of God's power on the earth that wasn't in partnership with a man. One, not one. In fact, I was thinking about this in 2 Kings um, The Assyrians are coming against King Hezekiah, who was a righteous king. And and then all of a sudden, an angel comes from heaven and and massacres 185,000 Assyrians. And I'm like, okay, God, what happened there? But then I went back and read it. And it says this God's actually talking to Hezekiah and said, because you prayed. And God's like, it still wasn't independent of a man. I still partnered with Hezekiah's prayer. And all of a sudden I realized that our part is to make room for God to do his part in the earth. That 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 is what God has actually caused us to do. And here's the struggle. And I think most believers, at some point you're going to struggle with this. Because you believe, point one, God is all powerful. Everything started with him. He was before the beginning. You believe that. But then you encounter something where it's like, well, why isn't God moving? Like, God, you're not doing anything about my crazy husband. And I've been praying, and he's still acting a fool. And God, you're not doing anything about my wife. She's still nagging. Not doing anything about my kid. His room still stinks, and he's not doing his homework. My boss is still, and we say, thank God. And all of a sudden, we call that prayer, by the way. It's really just gripping at God. But anyways, we call it our quiet time. Like God, you're just not doing anything. You're just not doing anything. And here's what you need to understand. I understand that frustration, but you need to understand that it's too many times, listen. Too many times we, we, we want to see God's power, but we, we abdicate ourselves from all authority. And God gave Adam power and authority. He gave him authority, go and subdue and take dominion, and he gave him power. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of God, his spirit. And it made him alive. So God gave Adam power and authority. Christians love power. We just don't like authority. We ultimately don't want to be responsible. And then we get, get, get mad when God's not doing stuff that he's supposed to be doing. It's okay. You don't have to help me. I know it's true because I have lived it myself. And it is so dangerous to give someone authority and not power, or power, not authority. You give someone power and no authority, they'll blow up everything or try to blow up everything and get nothing done. You give someone authority and no power, they'll go out to try to do anything but not have the power to do it. And they'll end up frustrated, right? And God gives us power and authority. God, Let me help you with something. Let me help you with something. God is the sovereign authority over your life. Let me help you with something else. God has given you power to rule your own life. Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, skip, 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 self-control. God has actually given you the power to manage your life in partnership with Him. And you can keep trying to control your wife, and that's not going to help your situation. And you can try to, try to control your kids and you're just going to be frustrated. When will you take control of your own life and take authority over the hardest person to lead is yourself. But God has given you power and authority. And that starts with authority and power to take control of your own life. And we back up and say, God, when are you going to take control of my life? And God's saying, I've given you power to to make room for me to partner with you. This is the principle. Now, could God just show up and do it? Yes, he is all powerful. But God plays by his rules. And so, so God won't do your part, not because he doesn't have the power to, but because of his own principle. Can I tell you three things about this really quickly? Number one, God will not do your part. In your life, with whatever you face, whatever you're going through, whatever you're looking at, God will not do your part. That's why people say, you know, Pastor, as soon as I win the lottery, I'm going to tithe. God will not do your part. He's not going to wake up in the middle of the night and give you the numbers. He won't do your part. No, I'm not saying that if you tithe, God will give you the numbers either. I saw that one coming. Pastor, I'm hitting the boats. Preacher doesn't say. No, I didn't. But God will not do your part. Like, like with, this, with this building and, and all the ministry that we're, we're endeavoring to do, it's $11 million. It sounds like an impossible number from where we started. And now we're so much more closer. We're so much more close. And, and the truth of it is, if we don't build a building, more people don't get reached. More people don't get saved. More people don't get discipled. If we, don't, if we do it, how is it going to be done? We're all going to do our part. And if we all do our part, God will do his part. That's why when when we have commitments of 5 million for 24 months, but then give 4 million in 12 months, what happened? We did our part and God did his part. And if we'll do our part the next 12 months, God will do his part. But God will not do your part. He will not pray the prayer that sets you free for you. He will answer it, but he won't pray it. The Bible says that we pray and then let, let them lay their hands on the sick. And that, is anyone sick among you? This is James. Let them call on the elders of the church and, and they will lay their hands on him. The prayer of faith will save the sick, right? God doesn't do the healing part over here. God does the healing part over here, but he asks us to do our part. So so God won't do your part. Here's the thing: like your part is never supernatural. Your part is never supernatural, right? You you pray and God causes them to recover. You pray and God Hezekiah prayed and God created a massacre with an angel of 185,000 people. Like he sent the ninja warrior angel. John Wick came down. How many of you want to pray for that? No, don't raise your hand. What are you doing? We're in church. Love your enemies. Pray for those who are you. but do you see this? Like God's part, he will never He won't do your part. Your part is not supernatural. But here's the other thing you need to know: Your part is always first. Give and it will be. Pray, right? Call to me and you will, or I will answer. Search for me, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. When will you find me? When you search. That, that God won't do your part. Your part is never the supernatural part, but your part is always the first part. Are you with me on that? And so we can't sit back and say, God, why aren't you move? Why don't you do it? Oh, you know you've done that? And God's saying, It's your move because it's your move that makes room for my move. Here's the last thing, probably my favorite point. You can live by God's power or you can die by your strength. Because this this is really the whole reason I came to this text. Genesis 2, 16, it says, And God commanded the man, saying, You shall surely eat of the tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So the tree of knowledge, I'll leave the prepositional phrase out just so I don't get tongue-tied. But the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for the day you eat it, you will die. So there are two trees in the garden. Two trees that are named. Lots of trees, but there are two trees that are named. There's the tree of life, right? And the tree of knowledge. These are the two trees that are named. And the tree of life, interesting enough, um, the word when it says tree of life, that word life in the Hebrew is actually the word high, um, C-H-A-Y, but it's pronounced high. Um, Not like high, but in in a Hebrew way, high. It may shock you, I'm I'm not actually Jewish. Um, so I'm probably not even saying it right, but that was as close as I could understand because my Bible program has something I can click and it tells me how to pronounce those words. So I'm not smart. I just know how to click. All right. So it's, it's high C-H-A. But interestingly enough, when the Bible says that God breathed into Adam's nostrils, the breath of life, that, that word is the same Hebrew word. There, there, there are several Hebrew words for life or living or, or alive, but these words are the same Hi. God breathed in his breath, his nostrils, the breath of high. There's a tree of high, right? Um, If you want conceptually what this word would be similar to in the New Testament, a lot of people are more familiar with with Greek ideology or, or words sometimes, but it's the word zoe. So when Jesus says, I came to give you life more abundantly, that word is Zoe. So that's life that comes by the Spirit of God. That's life that comes by the presence of God. That that God looks at living in life very differently than us because we may look at, at someone or someone may say, man, I'm really living, but because they don't have a relationship with Jesus, God says, no, they're actually dead. I mean, their Instagram may be blowing up and they may be on their yacht and they are living the life, but God's like, they don't know me and life comes from me. I've not breathed into them. So actually, I look at them, and then we can see someone going through one of the hardest sicknesses or illnesses in their life, and, and it looks like they're struggling, but but God looks at them and says, no, they are being refined through fire and suffering, and they are more alive than, than anyone else because they are so full of my presence and spirit. Are you with me? And so so essentially, think about this, because God created Adam as, as a man, Adam wasn't divine. He was a a sinless man, but he wasn't God. He was created, right? And so, so God makes Adam. Now, what we know about man is he gets tired and he has to eat. He's not self-sustaining. He's not self-sufficient. He's not self-existent, right? And so think about this. God brings him alive by breathing this, this, this life into him. And then God plants a tree in the garden. Where he can replenish what God breathed into him, and God's saying, "You can have as much life as you want." But then there's this other tree of knowledge. And this tree is different, because where this tree makes God, God's power the force of your life, this tree makes your wisdom the source of your life. And so Adam has this choice. By the way, the only reason I'm preaching this because these are the same choices you have today, okay? These trees are still very much alive. Adam has this choice. He can go and he gets tired. He's been out subduing, naming cheetahs, riding elephants. I don't know, running around naked, petting lions, eating fruit salad, all the things you did in the garden before the fall. And he gets tired and he comes back and he can take life off this tree and be replenished. But then Satan convinces him, and I want you to think about this, because Satan convinces him that he would be better off trusting his strength than God's power. Now, he didn't say it that way, though. The way he said it was more like, you're missing out. FOMO, fear missing out, right? You're missing out because you're not you're not leaning on what you know. And if you would just know enough, but you can never know enough to be alive. And so Adam makes this choice. And so over here is this tree that says, I'm going to live by what I think, by what I can understand, by what I can reason. And over here is this tree that says, I'm going to live by God's power working in and through me. And and these these were the choices that Adam had. Like I, I can eat as much of this as I want and be alive by the presence and power of God or I can come over here. And by the way, these are the same, same two trees you pick from, that we pick from. Because I know we wouldn't say it in church, but how many of us have ever been guilty of looking at something we were facing or a situation and saying, you know, this is how it looks to me. This is what I think this makes sense. This is what I this is what I know, it's what I understand, and, and I'll just live by. Let me show you what happened though, because the Adamic covenant, God's covenant with Adam. Uh, put that Genesis 128 up again, guys. Genesis 128, it, God gives him five things be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue, and take dominion. That's what God tells him to do. After he blessed him, that's what he tells him to do. Then we know Adam chooses to live by his own strength what he can discern, what he can understand, what he can know, his understanding of what is right and wrong. See, here's the difference in these trees. Most believers, look, most people, There's still some morality left in this world, I think. Most people know this is right and this is wrong. But knowledge doesn't give you power. That tree gave him the power to live righteously. This tree just gave him the ability to know the difference between righteousness and unrighteousness. So man ends up trapped knowing what sin is, but not being able to overcome it. This is why Jesus came and this is why grace is so important. So Adam chooses to live by his knowledge, his understanding, his wisdom. Now, fast forward to the covenant God makes with Noah. You know the guy that built the love boat with the zoo on it. <laughs> yeah, that guy. <laughs> so God, God talks to Noah. Now look what He says. This is so important. Genesis eight seventeen. His covenant with man. Adam represents man. Noah represents man. But look what he tells Noah. He says, bring out with you every living thing. This is when they finally docked um, on Mount Eret. But anyways, with you in all flesh, birds, animals, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. All right, very similar language to, to Adam when it was all created. And it's look, that they may swarm on the earth. And then look what he says. And Noah, I want you to be fruitful and multiply. There's some things missing though. What did he tell Adam? Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue, and take dominion. What did he tell Noah? Be fruitful, multiply. Why couldn't Noah subdue and take dominion? Because he didn't have the life anymore. He had to live from Adam's choice of Adam's tree, which is where we all live when we don't choose God. And so the truth was Noah couldn't subdue and take dominion. Now he could still live a natural part of his life, but the power of, Beast mode was no longer on his radar. The ability to live from the power of God to take on difficult circumstances with extreme power, Noah lost that. Man lost that because they lost the breath of God, which is why Jesus came, right? And why the Holy Spirit was given so that we could be filled again with the breath and the power of God so that now again, we have a choice. We have a choice. We can live every day, every situation in your marriage, right? In your finances, in your business at your job, with your children, whatever, every day you have a choice. Do I want to live from what I understand, from what I know, from what makes sense to me, or do I want to surrender and press into God and lean into His power and see His power moving in my life? How do I want to live? Do I want to live by what I understand, or do I want to live by the power of God? And this is what God was stirring up in my heart. Don't live by your strength. Live by the power of God. You're supposed to expect and anticipate, not just living and natural life, but live in God's power where God does supernatural things in your family, in your life, with your children, through your business. Are you with me? You should depend on wisdom that doesn't come from you, from strength that doesn't come from you, with gifts and abilities that, that you couldn't even make up if you wanted to. Like we're supposed to lean and press into the power of God. Are you, are you with me on this? Are you hearing what I'm saying? And so many times we, we relegate our lives to this living life by what makes sense to us. By what we can manage. By what we can do. By, by what we know our strength is. And the whole time God's saying, no, 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 no. I've got wisdom you don't know about. I've got joy you don't know. I've got healing. I've got deliverance. Like I, I want. This is what Isaiah 40 says. I love this verse. It says, it says um, he gives power to the weak. And to those who have no might, he increases their strength. And then he goes on to say, youth, they'll, they'll fail. Their strength will fail. And young men, young men will utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. And they will mount up with wings as eagles. And they will run and not be weary. And they will walk and not faint. And here's what God's saying. Will you just lean into my power? In your marriage, will you just lean in? I know they're acting crazy. I know you say you can't make it. Will you lean into my power? In your finances, I know it doesn't make sense to give the first 10% and expect the rest to be blessed and increased, but will you lean into my power? Because my strength's made perfect in your weakness. Will you lean in and trust me in the situation that you face? Will you lean in and trust me in your business? Will you lean in and trust me in your family? Will you lean in and trust me if you're dealing with anxiety or depression? Will you lean in to my power and stop living by your strength? If you're the beginning of it, you're the end of it. But if God's the beginning of it, he gets to be the end of it. Lean into him. Lean into his power. Lean into his strength. By faith, make room. Use your part, your first move to make room for him to move in your life and trust him. Don't be quick to run to your strength. Be quick to run to him. Be quick to lean into him. Be quick to rely on him and expect and anticipate his power working in and through you. Can you do that? How many want to see God's power working in your life? You want to lean into him? You're going to trust him today and not yourself, his wisdom and not your own. God is so good. He'll show up every time. Why don't you stand with me?